subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me is a very hungover. Hello, I am Rex. So, Rex, how are you doing today, buddy? Well, it, it's certainly a day to be alive. I can I can say that much. It is a day to be alive. It's I'm a Friday. Dead. Okay. In California. Is it still Friday in California? No, it's it. It is it is oh. a Saturday in California. Oh well, yeah, you failed then. No, oh, wait, but the actual line is it's fine day in California. It's fine day in California. That's huh? racist. That's how they speak in that sequence. Okay, but you doing it as racist. It's not! I am not racist! <laughs> the voice crack. This is not a voice crack! You sound like a 12-year-old. But yeah, we're back here again, and, you know, Rex, I know you're not you're not feeling too hot. Um, a tad I'm under feeling the pretty hot. What was that? A tad under the weather, you could say. Just a tad. I mean, in all fairness, I'm kind of hurting too. I've been sitting in the studio now since uh, actually we're we're getting close. This is the eleventh hour. We're actually about to hit the eleventh hour. Um, Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's been not very fun. I am ready to get out of this stupid studio. I am ready to get out of this room. I'm ready to like not be here. <laughs> I I am I am. Very much my 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 buttocks hurts from sitting right. in the seat. I'm just in a big come down, man. Well, you know, it's it's in your condition. We're going to we're going to power through this because we're madmen. We're we're insane. Yeah, I'm kind of insane. But we're here. And we're going to talk about some kaiju or tokusatsu. And. Since we're going to talk about that, we always got to do our, our general housekeeping. So, Rex, what tokusatsu have you watched this week? Well, I actually have not watched a lot of tokusatsu. I've been keeping up with Agito. Uh, I would be keeping up with Geet, but there was no episode this this week or last week, sorry. So, because the show Why went was on that? break for uh, they just went on break for a week, but oh. it comes back like tomorrow. So, oh, fun! And there's only like three or four episodes left, right? Because they're hyping up Gotchard in that movie. Yes, and what? In the movie for it, correct? The Geats or Gotcha? Gotchard. Well, Gotcha. The the there's no Gotchard movie announced yet. There probably okay. there certainly will be in like the year. A winter movie around like December ish. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's a Geats movie. Yeah, the Geats movie already came out like last week or something. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I follow now. Yeah, and Gotcha is in it. <laughs> That's right. Because wasn't that his debut? Yeah. Oh, like 
all like the the summer movies and when it comes to like modern rider they all have their debut in a summer movie and then in one of the last episodes of the shows usually so that, that's kind of just a standard thing for Kamen Rider. Gotcha. But outside of that, even though I didn't watch a lot of Tokusatsu, I did watch this one Japanese movie called We Couldn't Become Adults, which I only mentioned because A, Shin Kamen Rider actor Mirai Moriyama is absolutely fantastic in it, and B, because ironically... One of the actors from our previous film, Parasite, also makes an appearance. Oh, really? Yeah. Remember the the Hideo... What's, what's his last name? I don't remember his last name in Parasite. The, the, the guy, the tall guy who was like a student and killed everyone in the school. Or Shimida? Hideo everyone. Shimida? Yes, yes, that guy. Masahiro Masahiro Higashida? Higashida, yes. Higashida? Yeah. Yes. And that movie was very amazing. I felt very depressed afterwards, but, you know. Hey, that's a sign of a good movie. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, If if you ever watch a movie and want to kill yourself by the end, then that's a really good movie. Duly noted. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just speaking facts here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Mirai Moriyama's great. And that was it? Yeah, that's about it. Okay, gotcha, There's gotcha. one other movie, but I'm going to let you take take the wheel first. Oh, you're letting me take the wheel? Yes. In, in what I, took I shouldn't drive you? in my convinced edition, so like you're going to need fair. it. That's fair. I'll I'll take the wheel here. Um so I I too didn't watch a whole lot. Um I watched so I did watch the 2023 Toei Animation co-production with Sony uh Knights uh, of the Zodiac. Nice Zodiac. <laughs> yes. Who has who I mean it's it's an okay movie. Honestly, I felt like it was a really underdeveloped underdeveloped plot. Mhm. And the film has TJ Storm in it, so automatically it's awful because <laughs> wow, TJ Storm is the worst thing in the history of the world. And if you want to understand that, you need to watch the G Fest video episode where I explain why TJ Storm is 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 the worst idea in the history of the world. <laughs> this person is the worst idea in the history of the world, right? Yep. Yep. He he's everything that's wrong with my life. He's the reason everything has gone to utter chaos. Right, makes sense. I'm gonna Just laugh when we if when we ever interview him. If we ever do that, <laughs> that'd be that'd be goofy. That would be. But You're hopefully, he would understand. <laughs> so I I've decided that if I ever meet TJ Storm, and I know he's gonna be there. I'm going to grab the ticket of the raffle and I'm going to have him hold the tickets and take a <laughs> selfie with me. Are you going to give him context or no? Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. It'll be one of those things where he's like, you know, there's this one time where this guy had me take a selfie and he had me hold this raffle ticket and I don't know why. <laughs> That's, you're a little goofy. I'm petty. That's what I am. 
in other but words, goofy. But besides Knights of the Zodiac, which I mean was a subpar film, um, the coolest thing was seeing the Tokusatsu esque effects. I I don't know. Is it technically Tokusatsu? I don't know. Maybe. It it was. It has a Japanese lead actor. Mm-hmm. It's based yes, off of a Japanese director, even. property. Well, he was only in one Common Rider thing, which was a movie. Yeah, but he literally is a common writer in it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um And he was he in also, Pacific Rim as well. Yeah. He was in Pacific Rim Uprising. He's the son of Sonny Chiba. That's right. And he his uncle played Taki in Common Rider. Rider. Yes. So I mean there's that connection and then I mean it's it's an adaptation of a Japanese product. Japanese uh, franchise, mm-hmm. and Toei did produce it. Mm-hmm. So would it? I mean, technically, I think that makes it Tokusatsu. If if like the last dinosaur counts, wouldn't this technically count? I mean, if if not, then it's like one or two steps away from being Toku. Yeah. So I watched that, and then I I changed it up and watched a uh, early two thousands low budget J horror movie called Mariner. It's a like this basically it's the House of Wax but with dolls. Huh. And it was interesting until the story basically was over, and it was just a chase like a chase down story for about twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, but you get tired of watching a character run when they've been running for 20 minutes. Right. I can imagine that. Um, And, and unf- unfortunately, like, I, I haven't watched anything else just because I've been, I've I'm been too busy. But actually, so Rex, um, just, I'm going to, we're going to do this live. Um, I've already watched this, so I guess it's live, live for you. Um. So we covered Parasite Part 1 last week. Yes. And I found out that the ending song, Parade by Bump of Chickens, has a music video. And it was directed by Takashi Yamazaki. Oh. And I, wa- I, wa- I want to talk about this. So I sent you a link. For anybody who's curious, it's called Parade Bump of Chicken. And you can watch the music video on YouTube. And Yamazaki uh, directed and did the VFX for this this uh, music video. And it ties into our last movie. So I wanted to cover that before we even thought about going any further. And, and, and you know, I can't. Huh. Maybe that'll be all this episode is. I don't remember. Mm. I wonder what this episode could be about. I did too. So we're going to take a moment to watch this. If you guys want to as well, just go uh, go watch it. Um, pause the episode here because we're going to transition right back to the actual recording. But go watch it. It's only three and a half minutes long, and it's a bopper of a song. So um, mm-hmm. we'll be right back. And we're back. So we just both watched the, the music video. Yes. Uh, Bump of Chickens, Bump of Chicken, excuse me, Parade. So, like I said, Takashi Yamazaki uh, shot this and did the VFX for it. 
Mm-hmm. And so, Rex, what, what, I mean, obviously the song's a bopper, like I added to my playlist. It's, it's on my uh, it's soundtrack right. playlist. It's all right. It's an okay I love song. It. It's I okay. Love it. It's okay. So, and this isn't the first time Yamazaki actually had done a Bump of Chicken uh, song music video. He's actually done a handful of them uh, going all the way back to 2006. So I just I'm curious, like what what's your take on on the the music video? I don't know what to really say, really. It's it's kind of interesting how the visuals are very similar to the end credits of both Parasite films, which is something I kind of noticed from the start, especially Mm -hmm. like the first few seconds when it's like it kind of looks like cells in the body. Right. I mean, I guess that's kind of a visual-ish motif going on, maybe, throughout this music video. A little bit, yeah. And this one, specifically Parade, it, like, they, the parasites appear in it, they're the main, like, problem. Mickey makes a cameo appearance. Yeah, Um, as the singer's hand. (laughs) And, you know, it's, like, the parade is is very much tied into, to the films. Um, It's also it's it's funny even because some it was, like creatures. Yeah, this this has Yamazaki's first original kaiju? <laughs> Question mark, I guess. I guess this is his second kaiju scene <laughs> that he's directed. Yeah, and so and and the kaiju are like parasites that have morphed together into yeah. this giant monster. Um, and, and I really like the fact that the parasites appear in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's very interesting for me, at least, is the, the music video is very apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Ap- apocalyptic. Right. And the ending of Parasite Part 1 is not a good ending. Mm. It, it's very much like, yeah, we're on the losing end. Like, humanity's losing this fight. Mm-hmm. Um. It's kind of scary, you know. They're they're going into office and they're they're taking control of of Japan in Tokyo, right. and so you know it's it's that fear of you know this could be the end of the human race, and I feel like this music video like is a pretty good like addition to that because it's it's very it's very like end of times. Mm. Everything's gray. Everything's murky. Like it's all overran by parasites like right there's even like a like a humanoid angel of death looking thing <laughs> flying over right and the designs for the original creations in this are really cool i think mm. they're all really cute cool yeah and i guess this is our first look at what parasites would look like without human hosts technically i guess <laughs> They're very Demogorgon-y. Like, I very mean, they, Demogorgon-y. They always were, to be fair. Yeah, this is true. Even though they I, predate the Demogorgon? Yeah, yeah. They actually, do, I they do. So, so Stranger Things... Until just now, but like, yeah, Stranger Things is like 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. So, Stranger Things ripped up Parasite. Good yeah. to know. Japan did it better. Japan did it first. <laughs> But I mean, it's only three and a half minutes. There's not really a lot we can talk about. Um, right. Do you have anything else you want to bring up on that before we continue on with the Yamazaki trend? Not really. Okay. So 
all of that about bump of chicken parade and and once again i've 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 forgotten what we're covering well i think it would only be natural if we've covered parasite part one and war the music video no no you shut up you you stop talking archimedes no it's not that i think you're brain dead Okay, you're right. So if we're if we've covered Parasite Part One and that was an adaptation, obviously we would be doing another adaptation, right? Like, right? We're going to be doing another adaptation. Have you ever heard of the word Part Two? And you know, if it's Yamazaki adaptation, Yamazaki. Have you ever heard of the word Part Two? And it couldn't be Ghost Book, and it it couldn't be the loop in the third movie he did. Are we doing Space Battleship Yamato? I mean, hey, if you if if we wanted to if you if you wanted us to cover Ghost Book, just book us both a flight on Japanese airlines. They've got it with English subtitles on there. Okay. I'll do that. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll pull out six thousand dollars out of my wallet. Uh, it'll be less than six thousand. Two thousand, three thousand, four thousand. It's a small price to pay. I, I don't. I don't think you understand. Do you know so how today, much m- stuff I could get with four thousand dollars? Yeah, but like, at, at least you get to watch a Toku movie that not a lot of people have seen. Right. Speaking of that, so Ghostbook was titled Yokaipedia in Japan, right? Yeah, or at least that's... And, th- and that's the title that goes on on like Japanese airlines, right? So Rex, cr- remind me of the yokai movie that was that you talked about during our Returner episode. I need to do a little housekeeping real quick. The yokai movie I talked about in our Returner episode. Yes, it was like the movie that uh, he, uh, uh, like was developing, and it got scrapped. <laughs> Oh, that. What, what was the title of that? Nue. That was okay. the title. So in, in the Returner episode, you said that that was a film that got scrapped, right? It, it was, I don't know how far it necessarily went, but it was like, yeah, it was something that, from what <laughs> I've understood, was after Juvenile, but before Returner. So I have a little correction to make. Okay. So it's called Nui, right? I believe so. So Nui, so back before Juvenile, Robot Communications asked, did basically a roll call, and asked for their people that worked for them to pitch a movie because they wanted to create their own movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Yamazaki was the only person to pitch a movie and he pitched new way to robot communications. Now what happened is the film, they couldn't make it because it would have, it would have warranted a too high of a budget for them to make it. Mm -hmm. So they said, can you do another movie and that's how we got Juvenile. Now, I also found out Yamazaki wants to do that film still, but oh. he's also said that he's happy he didn't do that because he don't he doesn't think he would have done a good enough job initially with that pitch. Like he has since 
perfected it and like worked on it and he thinks that he could do it now but obviously he's been busy because right. he's the hottest director in, in Japan right now mm-hmm. so sort of similar to like I think it's Beat Takeshi's most recent film which is like an idea he's had since like roughly like eight like roughly like the 90s I think Probably, and that, yeah. And that's an adaptation of, and instead of being an adaptation of yokai, that's an adaptation of like a real like historical event that happened in Japan called the Hinoji Hinoji incident, something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, I don't want to be like the well actually person, but I, I did want to at least clarify that honest, and you enjoy it. Well, I I thought it was cool to bring up. I thought it was cool to to at least you know mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, right. So yeah. Um, God, but that still didn't help what I was trying to figure out, which is what we're covering. Because oh, that's right. Yeah, dear listeners, today we are covering Parasite Part Two. I'll spay we, from. We are. Yes. Oh, you watched it, and so did, did I? I. Yes. Were you watching me watch it? Yes. Did you hack in to my camera? Yes. I held oh, you no. at gunpoint. That 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 doesn't what what? I held you at gunpoint. Are you sure you're not still drunk? Yes. That yes was not for certain. I'm pretty certain. I don't Oopsie. I don't think so. So yes, we are we are covering Parasite Part Two, the sequel to Parasite Part One. Believe it or not, no, I couldn't um, be. This so there's not a lot we can talk about when it comes to the the production of this film, um, and and that's simply because the film was shot at the same time as the first one. It was a five month five month shooting. Mm-hmm. And they did well, both. not same time, but like back to back, I believe, pretty much. So I read in an interview with Yamazaki that it was a five month straight shoot where they shot both films together. Huh. Um. So I, I I had to dig a little bit to find anything on this because, to be honest, this is basically the same story as Parasite Part One. Um. So much so that I don't even have a cast and crew part for this episode because Damn. The cast and crew are the same people from the first one. So if if you if you like that stuff, just go back and listen to part one. I don't know why you wouldn't be listening to part one because you know yeah, that's a good part question. two. Why would you watch part two without watching part one? You're supposed to so, watch them both, you know. Yeah, so or to, even to, like every episode of Yamazaki Month, you know what I mean? Yeah, so essentially, this is kind of like, I mean, this is quite simple. This is quite honestly the part two to our part one episode. Like this, no, this it couldn't be. <laughs> this this is just going to pick up and, and kind of conclude this story. Um, mm-hmm. I did find out, however, that apparently now I didn't I didn't have exact like confirmation, but apparently this was the first Japanese film to attempt full motion capture. Huh. Um, because they did mocap for Migi, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so apparently this was the first film to do that, 2014, 2015. It predates Shin Godzilla. And to be honest, I can't 
I, I mean, I don't know when like a title off the top of my head that could potentially have beaten it. But I feel like the wait. What do you mean by full motion capture? So I see that's the thing is I don't know entirely, but see, I'm guessing what because like I'm you know I've seen everything Gara right right. And from around, I want to say Makai Senki, which is the second Gara show from 2011. If I remember right, Makai Senki, I believe, is where Gara started implementing mocap. If not mm-hmm. Makai Senki, then it was the next show, Yami, Yami Oterasumono. Which that, was what year? Um, Makai Senki would have been around 2010, 2011. And mm-hmm. then Yamio was like the year after. So 2012, 2013? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they were talking film specifically? Maybe that's what uh, this this I'm was? I'm pretty sure the Garo Red Requiem movie had motion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Garo Red, Re- Red, Re- Red Requiem movie had mocap. And that was like, that came out just before Makai Senki. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I I don't know then. Um when I read that I was a little like, mm, that sounds a little weird. I don't know, but I'll at least bring it up. Mm-hmm. Just I I, you know, I feel can... like that's just wrong. <laughs> I agree. I, I was like, that seems a little off. Like they they talked about motion capture and Shin Godzilla like it was something normal or something mm-hmm. like casual right. and i was so to me it would be weird if 2014 was the first time it was right. implemented and there's fully. no way those and there's no way some of those fights in garo were not mocap like if you i've i've watched this the fights they're very very clearly mocap like the way certain fights in yamio especially because yamio is where garo was like pretty much it, it's it's the one of the few Garo shows where he's like all CG, except mm-hmm. for like one scene in one of the later episodes where they use the suit. But like, you can very much tell it is mocap just by the way it moves. Like, it doesn't really move like someone's wearing armor or a suit, it moves like just a normal person's moving. Interesting. So it's like, it's very clearly mocap. So maybe maybe that source was wrong. Um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but I you know I, I felt like we could at least bring it up. Um, and then beyond time. <laughs> right, and then beyond that, um, I also did read that, and I thought this was pretty cool. So for the film, they they had recorded uh, Sadeo Abe's voice before they filmed. Mm-hmm. And they would play his voice over the speakers when Migi was talking so huh. that the actors had something to respond to, right. um, which I thought was really cool. I love that idea. I love that hmm. concept that that's what they would be doing. So, you know, I, I, I thought that was really genius of, of Yamazaki to do that. And then that's really it on on the production side the rest is more about interpreting the film and thoughts on the film um the only thing i have left is it opened april 25th of 2015 so whoa which is around the same time that parasite the maxim ended roughly 
Right, because the the anime was made to basically market the live action right. films. So much so that they actually had the uh, dub actor for the anime do interviews to promote the sequel film. Fancy that. Yeah. Well, do you want to go ahead and just kind of start recapping this? Of course. (laughs) Just like how the opening of this movie actually is. So it was a little bit of a cliche, but it was to be expected. The film opens with a recap um, I mean, actually, it, is, it is a part two, so fair enough. Actually, so before we actually talk about the film, they re-released part one onto television, but Yamazaki went and redid the movie and actually made it like Miki's recollection of the events of the first film. And of course, it was on TV, so he had to cut out all the violent, violent stuff. But oh. it, it's like 1.5. It was all told in like flashback and from Miki's perspective and, you know, it uses all the same footage, but Miki's basically talking through it. And it was a TV special on Nippon TV, which I thought was really cool. But for the people who didn't watch that television special, which was probably most people, they did do an opening recap covering everything that happened major in the first film. Right. And from there, we, from that, we cut to the police detectives from the first movie, Jun Kunimura, escorting a serial killer into, like, the the government's facility base that was shown at the end of the previous film. Right. And, and right off the bat here, um, sorry to interrupt you, but... Right off the bat here, this film is already different. The Mm -hmm. color grading in this sequel is very, very full of neutral grays, whites, blacks. And blues. And blues. It's it's a very cold movie. I think Mm. it kind of adds to the the fact that this is not – there is not a lot of hope. This is a lot of fighting and dire situations. Mm-hmm. And I thought I mean, that was this, such an. I mean, the tone of this movie is a bit different as well. This scene in particular is a lot more like, I guess, I guess, cold, like you said. Uh, I don't know how to really to describe it. There's, it's, not quite a tense scene, but like, there's an there is an element of tension to it. It's it's a lot more dramatic. Right, yeah. Because, so, I you were about to explain what happened, so I want you to go ahead and do that, and we can talk about it for a little bit. Right, so essentially the police have discovered that this man, this serial, that this man, this serial killer, Uragami, is essentially able to identify the parasites. Thus, they're essentially testing his ability. During this, one of the people they bring to test is Shinichi, a protagonist from the previous film. And the serial killer notices something off about him, but then decides, hmm, I guess he's human. Right, which honestly, like, that was really cool. The fact that, and they, they say this 
because they're like, are you sure about using this guy? And he's like, well, it takes a monster to know a monster. <laughs> and and it starts the discussion that this film does have, which is like, what is really a human? What mm-hmm. what makes I mean, all of the, it's essentially a continuation of themes from the previous film. But this one takes it even further, which I I appreciate. Right. I love the fact that this continues that right. that theme, but also takes it further. It doesn't mm-hmm. stop. It keeps going. I mean, the nice thing about this film is that it's very clear that it was, I mean, they were shot back to back. It's very clear they were both planned. It was a fully planned story where sometimes you'll get a sequel that, or you'll get a trilogy even where it's like it'll be going one direction and then because they didn't plan it out enough it goes in a complete other direction and then and then you get controversial debates that will last for years a la Star Wars, a la Halloween, a la etc. etc. Right. And I I thought it was really cool, especially when they stopped on Shinichi and it took him a second to like figure out right like, I thought that was such a cool little detail that they did right <laughs> and you've just got like the eerie like just the music building up to it as well right the music in this scene especially is very intense it's it's not something to be ignored it's it's a very intense piece of music but yeah from here we cut to the title card and the police sort of going over the facts with the detective played by jun kudimura essentially telling his partner about how shinichi is connected to essentially everything that and that surely can't be a coincidence right and continuing their suspicions from the previous film right and I mean, at this point, I'm kind of surprised they I mean, obviously he was suspected because they had to, you know, they brought him in. But I'm surprised they didn't keep a closer eye on him. Right. <laughs> Especially with how the psychopath responded to his presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just the fact that like Shinichi is you know his mother got killed by one of them and he's been linked to literally every single one or well not every single one but most of them right he was he lived by the place where the cop lived his mother went missing um the the school that he went to a parasite appeared and killed people the parasite died very close by to that his teacher went missing um i'm trying to think what else like what other coincidences right um he nonetheless you made the point um but yeah essentially from here while they're while they're deliberating with each other shinichi seemingly heads home but then migi detects that there is another parasite near with Shinichi's mission now being to track down and kill any parasites, he goes to find it, and they and the two work together to kill this parasite with 
with Shinichi just stabbing his hand through <laughs> through the parasite's body, seemingly. Right, and, you know, so what this scene does show is it shows that Miki and Shinichi have found a way to work together a lot better. But one thing I do think this film does once again have issue with that the previous film has is it's hard to figure out how long it's been since the first film, right? Right, yeah. Like, they have mastered, essentially, coexistence. And it's been long enough where, um, spoiler alert, uh, the baby is born. Tamiya's baby is born. So it's had to have been at least seven months. So... But Tommy's child is not, like, freshly born. It's had to have been a few months, right? Mm -hmm. So it it does become this question of, like, how much time has passed? How long has Shinichi been doing this? Mm -hmm. And we don't really get an answer again. I mean, I feel like that's not really too big of an issue here with it. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of normal for for sequels sometimes to not really be specific on how long it's been. You just kind of get the point that they've been doing it for some time. Right. I, I don't know. I just, I like a clear timeline just to kind of understand how things have developed. And when I, I mean, don't get that. Nice, but yeah, I feel like the film gives you, you know, the pieces. It doesn't need to spell everything. Right. I don't know. I just, I do feel like this film especially suffers from that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, it, it kind of annoys me because I, 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 I wish because this, both of these movies have that problem. Mm-hmm. It's hard to follow the timeline because it jumps, it's like time just moves so fluidly through it that I think it, it, it does have that problem. Mm-hmm. From from here, Migi and <laughs> Migi and Shinichi are cooking food. Shinichi essentially restates his determination to kill all the parasites while also restating, you know, reestablishing his, I guess, his emotionless compared to where he started in the first film which again has Migi very concerned right and that's actually where one of my notes from what Yamazaki wanted to do um this this movie is basically the development of how emotions can be a parasite of their own so mm-hmm. like Shinji is manipulated by the loss he's encountered right He's lost right. his actual teacher. He's lost school uh, mates, classmates. He can't go to school anymore. And most importantly, he's lost his mother. Yes. And with all of that, his life as he knew it, knows it is gone. Right. He even lost his right hand. <laughs> he lost his right hand and he has distanced himself from his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He has He has lost everything. And that has caught up to him emotionally, which is driving him to lose that emotion. He's becoming what the parasites are without even really having to be a parasite. And that's because he has just went through so much that he no longer 
he's thinking about that. He's no longer like concerned about that or worried about that or anything. Like that's not a thing of his. He he has become what he's fighting. And he's still human. Right. Which adds to that argument of, you know, what what is a monster because Shinichi has become what he's killing. Yeah. And that is a very interesting theme. That's a very mm-hmm. interesting theme to to have in this film is you have to watch Shinichi come back from the deep end. Right. And that is something this film covers. Uh, Yamazaki specifically said that this is a romance drama with a lot of blood. This is not mm-hmm. a sci-fi film as much as the first film. It's a little unbalanced, he actually said. He said if this was a perfect sequel, it would be a balanced sequel that you know covers the drama and the love and the science fiction very well like the first one. Mm-hmm. But this one focuses more on the drama and the love story than the science fiction. It's meant mm-hmm. to be more of a character-driven, developed plot and not as much as the science fiction. Right, which I feel like might be a little bit of a flaw of the film is that it's trying to juggle a lot. I agree, and that's something... So I this was my second time watching the film. And the first time I watched it, I thought this isn't as good as the first one. Like there's clearly something wrong about this one. Like Mm -hmm. I I was struggling to figure it out, but after reading that statement from him, I realized that that is the problem. Unlike the first film that juggles everything beautifully. Mm -hmm. This one does it. It has that thematic problem of not, being the same as the first film in in terms of how it juggles its its concepts right which to me does hurt the sequel this is an example of where the sequel is not as good as the first one Mm -hmm. um it still has some great moments but Mm -hmm. this definitely suffers from a lack of keeping it interesting at points right i will say one thing that i think might have been improved was the cinematography of this film yes and i want to really talk about that towards the end of this discussion because that's where i loved it but i do agree with you Mm -hmm. during all this or during the fight previously i'd also forgotten to mention that shinichi and migi are still being tailed by the the journalist from the end of the first film that was taking photos and it's later revealed that it's a reporter that's been hired by ryoko tamiya the teacher from the previous film that was actually infected by a parasite. Right. And I will say during this whole sequence, so during, you know, seeing Miki cook and the fights with the parasites prior and, and all of that, I did notice that and maybe you can, you can tell me what you think here, but the effects aren't. Oh yeah. I actually I did actually notice a couple shots with Migi were looking a bit off, a bit more off this time around. Especially like with the, where the hand, like where like the arm goes into like the sleeve. I noticed mm-hmm. a couple times that it's kind of, it's got this gradient effect that's kind of trying to hide the 
switch from CGI to, you know, inside the sleeve. But like it looks it looks off. It looks too much like an artificial gradient. Right. So it kind of just draws attention to itself. And I wonder if that's because of the color gradient change, the the I don't know. It depends. Because they that had it perfected. Into it. That could play into it, but I don't know. It it's it's not a huge issue throughout the film, but it is noticeable here and there. Right. It's way more noticeable than the in the first film because honestly I'd say the first film effects were basically flawless through the entirety of the movie. I wouldn't say flawless, but I'd say they're pretty it's pretty consistent for the most part, I think. It just it was weird. It was weird to me. Um mm-hmm. And it continues to get worse until I would say again the end. I, but we're going to talk about the end, I think, pretty pretty thoroughly as we get there. Okay. Um, but we have a little bit of Tamiya's character development. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, which is very interesting, and I I love her development. I think her development in this film is honestly the driving force for the entirety of how the plot flows Mm. i mean she was already one of the more interesting characters from the first film being originally a seemingly like one of the main antagonists but be but eventually being revealed to be more of a neutral-ish figure Mm -hmm. rather than necessarily an antagonist and there is a lot of discussion because of what shinji's doing that they should kill him with kazuki kitamura's character and goto And it's interesting to see her argue their point of keeping them alive. Mm. Right. All the while, she we were introduced to the fact that she now has a baby as well. Right. And, and we get some interesting moments where she does show a little bit of her human side, which is right. really cool to see. Again, her development is what is one of the driving forces of this plot because she knows that human coexistence is possible because she's figuring that out herself. Right. And as we continue here, um, you already brought up the interaction between Tamiya and Shinji initially, correct? Yes. So during that scene... She promises that as long as they keep a low profile, there's not going to be any attempts to kill them, right? Yeah. Well, that's quickly disproven. <laughs> because uh, while Shinji and Miki are are walking around later in, in the evening, uh, Miki can tell that a that there are five parasites with murderous intent heading for them. Right. Which freaks out Shinji, and so they they temporarily hide until the five parasites show themselves. And this mm-hmm. is where we find out that the five parasites are a part of one being. Yes, but it's this one being ends up being our antagonist, Goto, from Correct. the previous film. Although Which... in, this, in this sequence, it's not... Goto, the it's not the Goto parasite controlling the body; it's one of the other ones named Miki. Right, and that's the so. Did you bring up the Yakuza sequence? No, 
No. Okay. So prior to all of this, we do get a scene with this parasite that walks yes. up to a like secret Yakuza. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Secret. Just like a Yakuza headquarters building. Right. And he goes in and absolutely trashes the place. <laughs> yeah. And so we're we're already established that he's a pretty tough being. And mm-hmm. to think that there's five parasites is even more problematic. Mm-hmm. So then we get a chase sequence where Miki and Shinji have to figure out how to face this five parasited being mm-hmm. until they finally realize that the head controlling the other four cannot properly control them. Right. It's, they're very sloppy. There's too much going on for them to like have accurate shots. Mm-hmm. Which gets Miki the idea of accomplishing this by going out and doing a surprise attack and chopping the head off. Mm-hmm. And right as they're about to finish it off, humans walk by and they just give up on it. Which, mm. why would they not just finish it off? Like, that was a stupid decision, as as we learn later on. Like, why would they not just wrap it up yeah i mean i guess they just didn't want to be seen by it since you know they're trying to keep their existence a secret and you know and shinichi could have just hid shinichi probably doesn't want to kill any people well shinichi could have just hidden behind the bush that was right in front of them look man (laughs) it was stupid It was stupid. It was it was the dumbest decision this movie made. Yeah. And then we basically get the rest of the like story until the final act following this. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but after this is basically the whole city hall takeover plot. Right. Meanwhile, also there's the plot with Nawamori's character as the reporter. Right, right. I immediately recognized it was Nawamori when when I heard his voice because you can hear that he slipped. His voice sounds a lot like the Spider Org, which he played in Shin Kamen Rider. Correct. And so we we basically we we finally get the explanation to what his character is, which is essentially Tamiya hired him to keep tabs on Shinichi. And he thinks that they should take it to the press and like expose him, but Tommy right. is not having that. Right. And Meanwhile, following... he's, also in... he's also interested in her romantically since he's a widower. He wants to provide for his daughter and she's a single mother. And so he can relate to her, which leads into kind of the conflict he has for the end of his story. Right. So following this, he gets a little sloppy and he, he goes back out to try and search for Shinichi and Shinichi like finally has had enough of the BS and is basically confronts him, confronts him and is like, what are you doing? And that's where we get the explanation of what Tommy is doing. Mm hmm. And then Shinichi reveals all to Kudamori. Kudamori. 
and leaves him with a warning to not trust Tamiya. And this leads to his subplot where he is now trying to find somebody who will buy the story off of him. But before he even does that, he goes to city hall and conducts an interview for with Kitamura Kitamura. And they find out that he's planted a recording device and they decide to send a hit to his apartment. Mm -hmm. And this is where we find out that he's trying to shop it around to make money for his daughter and whatnot. And then he goes out for smoke and then to go get some, is it food for? Yeah. He goes for, he goes to get like milk, I believe for his daughter. Essentially he just gets some groceries. Right. And as he's out, the parasites send their hits to the apartment where they trash the place. Don't they, ex- doesn't it, does it explode or? I think they, they just, just trash the place. I don't remember there being an explosion. They trash the place and they kill his daughter. He's not yes. there. So as he's walking back, he sees all this, the lights and whatnot. And he kind of, you can tell that he knows that something has gone on, right? Like in his apartment. So he rushes to the apartment only to find his daughter dead, Mm -hmm. which creates his vengeful story arc. And then following this, we do get the hostile takeover of the city hall. Yes. (laughs) That becomes intercut with the story we're having. And this city hall takeover is genius. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought this was honestly a really interesting concept. Right. We we see this, and it sounded mm-hmm. like you had something to say to this. So I want I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, my on it. only issue with this is now, cor- correct me if I wasn't paying enough attention to anything, but like, how did how, how did it, they didn't really show how they figured out like that Kazuki so, Kitamura was and that whole city hall bit was like involved in the situation or with my, the parasite. From my interpretation of of the story, they knew it at the end of Parasite Part 1. They were starting to figure out... They were starting to figure out who was a parasite and who wasn't. And whatever that time gap... So when they brought on um, Kenomura and his sidekick, that was because they were developing a plan for City Hall. Because that was following the election of Kitamura's character. Mm-hmm. So they knew that they were parasites and they were f- starting because they were already figuring out how the parasites were, you know, in this, this alien race mm-hmm. or not, maybe not right. alien, but like they knew that there was this invasion going on right? and they knew yeah. how to determine it. So the time frame between the election to when they were, enrolled in the program was them developing it, realizing they needed Kinemura and his sidekick because they were the like main people on the case. And then the time frame between that end and this, the sequence where they take over city hall has been their plan to take over city hall and get rid of the parasites for good. Right. Okay. That makes a little, that makes a little bit more sense now. Okay. That's just how I interpreted the story. I could right. be wrong, but that's how I interpret it. Because when they do take over City Hall, they have things to determine who is a parasite and who is yeah. not. 
Yeah, they're using like X-ray scanners to like check like the the physical body of people of people, while also later on bringing out the the serial killer Origami as a quote unquote portable portable right. scanner. <laughs> in 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 the opening, we had him. We had him as this, an established person that yeah. could tell. Yeah. Which I mean, it was a little weird. Like, how does that work? But I mean, I I still thought it was cool that that concept, right? right? Um. So it was obvious that this this task force knew that like they were tracking down parasites and and killing them. I mean, they knew what guns to bring. So obviously, they had had experience killing the, mm-hmm. their kind. Um. It was something that the time jumps and the the ignorance to to establishing a timeline kind of didn't explain that very well right right yeah that's what i was gonna say just uh (laughs) so we we get to watch them do this hostile takeover very like smoothly it's a very genius plan Mm. all the while we're intercut it's intercut with with the nawamori and and Ryoko subplot. And what so what that is is Kunamori, correct? Kunamori is his name, correct? Kudamori. Kudamori, okay. Yes. He went to Tamiya's place, abducted her child, and left a note if, if you love your child, come to yes. the zoo. And so essentially when when Tamiya appears he she's given the ultimatum of let her child die or reveal to the world that she's a parasite which is mm-hmm. basically opening her up for mm-hmm. death mm-hmm. meanwhile the police are trying to jun kunimura's character and his partner are trying to chase kudamori because of his involvement in the case and yeah <laughs> and then we also have shinji who was told by tamia who got his phone number through uh, Satomi, right? Yes. Satomi, yes. Uh, who she met on the streets and got her, uh, Shinji's phone number from her, her. He was told by Tamiya to show up at the zoo. So we have this big show of the baby being held over like about 10, about 25 feet in the air, which is death. Yeah. Um, for a child. For a baby. Yeah. Tamiya, who is given this ultimatum, Kunamori, Kun, right? Yeah, Kunamori? Kuramori, Kura. Kuramori, who is giving Tamiya this ultimatum. Shinji, who is basically stuck in the middle of trying to get both parties to stand down. And then as they're having their debate and their argument on you know the situation, Jun Kitamura, his sidekick, and a whole st- squad of police officers show up and you have bystanders watching and it's a huge show Mm -hmm. in the dialogue and music in the scene that's intercut with city hall's takeover is it's a very suspenseful and interesting oh yeah and very grand with the music as well Yes, and I loved this loved scene. <laughs> there, there's a handful of scenes in this movie that just are amazing. Probably the right. best out of the two, right? And right. this is one of them. 
Yeah, I'd say this is probably probably the best scene in the film. If if not, it's like the second best. I would agree. I would agree with that because we do get this monologue from Tamiya about how the parasites are this weak organism that that can't survive to humans mm-hmm. and basically gives the best argument to humans are the problem. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That's a very well done argument. I thought that was the best way to do that argument. And we do see that Kunamori does have some moments of doubts of right. if he's doing what he's doing is proper or not. Right. But he, I mean, he like any human, he is struggling with like do I kill this child? Right. And as as he has his like moments of of doubt, he does kind of snap out of that and immediately go to do it or I'm going to kill this child. Right. And as the police are there and they have their guns pulled and everything, as Kunimori is about to throw the child, Tamiya decides to kill him and Mm -hmm. save the child. And then this is where he says, I only did that to get you to... Essentially what he says is, I only did that to get you to show your true form. I would never kill a human child. And I conned you and I win. And then he falls and officially dies. Yes. And now the whole world knows that Tamiya is a parasite. Yes. The police have just arrived at this moment as well. And their guns are pulled and they're watching all of this go down. She just killed a human. She's a parasite. And she stands there and Shinji and her have a, a back and forth. And she admits that she's confused that she would save her human child to risk Mm -hmm. her own life. Right. Which adds to the humanity of the parasites that is there, that is a possibility. And that coexistence could happen. And that the parasites... Which she was a big proprietor of. Right. And... What is very interesting about this is up until this point, the film has this very, like, uphill battle, right? Like, we're achieving stuff. We're we're succeeding, right? Mm-hmm. We're moving forward. And that's as long as Tommy is alive. And for both sides, like, there's there's things that are working out, right? But at this moment, which is at the exact halfway mark of the film, when Tamiya gives Shinichi her child and dies in the process. Once she dies, the rest of the movie is a downhill struggle for both sides. And it doesn't become a uphill, like uphill, like good situation again until the very end of the film. Yes. Which is an interesting thing to think about is that Tamiya was the kind of the the puppeteer to making everything happen and not be a problem. Mm-hmm. Like that's such an interesting concept. Right. I mean, she's she, essentially the voice of reason of sorts between both sides. Right. And 
I just, I love this. Like, I love that. That is such an interesting way to establish her character. Mm-hmm. And with her death, you have the shift of the entire movie that basically puts everybody at risk is great because following this city hall's taken over right city hall is taken over by the humans and shinji is now left with a moral debate and everything from here is like a very quick pace problem mm-hmm. that has very few moments of of slowing down and breathing because mm-hmm. from this point which you are you are at about 58 minutes into this film yeah. From this moment on, the rest of the movie is basically run, 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 run. Yeah. It after, doesn't slow down. After this sequence, Kazuki Kitamura is confronted by the SWAT team at the at the city hall, and he gives he gives a rather a fairly long monologue about essentially like about like the coexistence sort of debate and whether or not humanity is a monster and all that sort of spiel. And following that, the the humans end up killing him only to discover that he himself was human. And that's... Su- I was shocked at that. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that is such a good twist. Mm. And... I, you know, I, I, I think that's... I had a little confused at first, but then I realized that what probably happened in the first movie when Shinichi saw him, what probably happened is they were detecting Kazuki Kitamura's, like... Side... Right, right-hand man, who is a parasite. Yes. And, and then so when you listen... It's like, oh, it... it changes your perspective on things a little. <laughs> right, and then... If you go back and listen to his monologue, he doesn't really differentiate himself from humans. Right. He just says humans, humanity, the parasites. And he's he just makes an argument. He doesn't say that he's a parasite. No. Which ends up being a really, really interesting, like like the writing there is really good. And it also explains how he sort of, throughout both films, he sort of, compared to almost pretty much all the other, like, full parasites, he essentially acts the most human throughout, where all the others sort of have, like, this, I guess, alien-ish sort of approach to, like, how the actors move around and look and talk and all that. Kazuki Kitamura is clearly the most, like, confident and normal which is uh, something you're gonna need for a politician right but yeah so i feel like that bit of his performance kind of aids into hinting towards his actual humanity right and then on top of that politicians typically make deals right and Mm -hmm. it's not it's not too far out of the realm of possibility that tamia said we'll make sure you go to office if you let us, like, if you help us, we will vote yeah. for you and we will get you an office if you help us. And right. I mean, at that point, if it's a surefire win, why would you not, right? Mm-hmm. It just kind of shows the corruption of politicians. But 
to that, there's also the question of, is he really wrong? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there is an argument to be had there. Right. And then from here, we get another brilliant moment of writing because Shinji realizes that Tamiya did what his mother did. Yes. And from this moment, you see a complete change in his emotions. Mm-hmm. He becomes the same old Shinichi that Satomi fell in love with, which is right. a very relevant statement. And even and even begins to cry again, something which he had seemingly lost the ability to do. In the and that was simply because the previous film, right? And that that was simply because he had realized that the parasites could be human as well. The mm. fact that Tamiya gave her life for her child, yeah was an example of that. Self-sacrifice, I believe, is something that even Miki says is a human trait. Right. Is, you know, when humans will, will, uh, what's the term? What's the term when they, when you'll feel for? Sympathize, yes. Will sympathize with other species that are not their own and will go to the rescue without even knowing how they feel. And, that's what Tamiya does in that sequence for her child. Mm. That is a very human trait. And Tamiya was starting to feel emotion. Yeah. Which goes to her full, like, coexistence, like, argument. And it's brilliant. That is a brilliant moment of writing. That mm-hmm. was real. That's, like, really, really good. But... After this, we go back to City Hall, and we are immediately met with problems once more. Yes. After the the SWAT team had sh- killed Kitamura, the Goto emerged <laughs> and proceeded to wipe them all out, essentially. And Which... then... And then Jun Kunimura's character is going to take Shinichi into the police station for some questioning about, to give like a statement on what just happened with Tamiya. But then he is radioed in to go to City Hall. Right. Which, real quick, can I say I love the idea that all five parasites have different personalities? Mm-hmm. In that, like, I love that. I love that it's not one central brain, like, they're all... Like their own oh, right. personality. Like yeah. I think that's really cool. I love that. I love that with little Goto, detail. right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we only really see like two of them. Two. But that it's that idea, right? Right. Yeah. And so yeah, no, we we have Shinichi once again here. I mean, and at this point he's there for Tamiya's death and like her reveal. So he it's quite obvious he has something to do with all this, right? Yes. <laughs> no, um, no, he's just there, you know. And so from here, you know, they they're watching City Hall go down and Goto appears. And from here it's basically a chasing movie. Like a yes. A and B are running from each other. Jun Kunimura gets killed very sadly. And Goto proceed the police essentially give up on trying to attack Goto and just let him chase after Shinichi. 
Right. Well, from my understanding, after that, the the parasites basically become non-existent. Besides yeah. Goto, Goto yeah. and Shinji are the only only like suspects and the only problems left. Right. And so we we get a chase sequence with a car and whatnot, and and that goes into the woods where mm-hmm. Miki and Shinji realize they have to fight. Right. Yeah. And this goes into one of the most shocking scenes I had in, upon my first viewing, which is they have a plan. And what we find out, that plan is Shinichi is going to be the decoy for Miki, and Miki's going to try and do a sneak, a-cha- sneak attack on Goto. By the way, around, Miki is the distraction, and Shinichi tries sneaking. Oh, that's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. But Shinichi's not fast enough to do a sneak attack. Mm-hmm. And so Miki tells Shinichi to run and that Miki will keep Goto occupied so he can get away. Yeah. And Miki's quickly killed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my, like, where do they go from here? Like, this is, like... Does Goto just walk off? Like I was, I was so curious. Like I was so invested in the story at this point. I was like, where do they go from here? Right. Um. So from and here, his death seemingly Shinichi would be safe from Goto since he can't can no longer track him. Right. And so from this point on, the film does slow down. Shinichi ends up going to a waste facility that also has nuclear waste. I, I didn't understand that part. Right. Yeah. It was, it was a little like, do they just have a nuclear waste facility that takes care of trash? Like, what? How How does that work? <laughs> it, it, was, it was a little weird. But Shinichi takes a refuge in one of the buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember how does it, so Satomi ends up meeting him there. Yeah, she ends up she calls his phone and he ends up he ends up answering and I guess tell tells her where he was and she helps bandage him up and all that essentially. Right. And so during this scene it so I also, in my research, I got some quotes because this scene turns into a, a very passionate scene, um, to say the least. So they spent a whole day on this sequence. They mm-hmm. wanted to make it very raw and emotional. Um, and, and both the actors, uh, Somiya and Hashimoto, both really like highlighted this scene and said it was very well done. Um, and the movie, according to uh, Yamazaki as well, is also about getting over the feeling of weakness and mm-hmm. seeing Shinji especially develop as, a, as into a, an adult, right? Mm-hmm. And this here is kind of a huge turning point for Shinji because this is Shinji opening himself up to somebody entirely, right? Like right. he has pushed Satomi off so much that he is letting her back in. Mm-hmm. And letting her in entirely, right? 
Yeah. And just before the scene gets really hot and heavy, there's a little nod that both of both of these actors give each other as if they're committing to what they're about to do, opening themselves up to this. Which is a nice little like it's a little detail, and I really like that detail. I thought it was a really cool thing to do. It's a very and and both both of these actors and this actor and actress both vi- talked about extensively how much they valued their time on set and how much they were to learn and grow and uh, you know interact with Yamazaki. Especially, they highlighted, mm-hmm. um, and it's it. This is where like the love story really comes to a culmination, right? right? Um we've seen Shinichi push away Satomi for the last like 2 hours of this of this franchise and here he is finally letting her back in, right? Mm-hmm. And this is all after the death of Tomia and him realizing, you know, about his mother and whatnot and his human emotions going back, right? Which which was really beautiful. It's 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 beautiful to to see Shinji find his way back to humanity. Right. Following this scene, the the two continue to talk to each other, rekindling their relationship. But during this, Shinichi is looking at his arm, and that is gone. That, by the way, yeah. And realizes that an eyeball has appeared. Me, a part of Migi is still with him from their partial fusion in last movie, meaning that Goto can still track them and is on his way. And just as plot convenience has to plot convenience, Goto is there the moment he realizes this. Where he kills two trash men and... Shinichi knows that this is the final stand. He can't go anywhere. And now he has to protect Satomi. And so he he also realizes that this could be it for him. Because he's just a human. Right. And this is where we go into one of the coolest visually visual scenes in this entire movie. Yes. So from here, Shinichi basically finds his way into the trash compa- the garbage. The nuclear waste place. Yeah. Um, Where all the garbage is thrown into nuclear fire and is incinerated. Mm -hmm. And he jumps on like the giant claw that has all the trash in it. He jumps on and Goto follows. And from this point forward, the rest of this scene is filled with blues and yellows that blend into greens. And it's beautiful. This is beautiful. This whole sequence is absolutely beautiful. The lighting in this and the particle effects and the atmosphere is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. This sequence is my favorite sequence visually in this, in either film. Oh yeah. It's, it's the best looking scene in the film by far is a standout. And I just, I ate this up. (laughs) <laughs> so Shinji has to like strategically fight Goto. And during mm-hmm. this, he stabs a, a piece of rhubarb into Goto's side. 
And just as we think it's over for Shinji, we get a nice surprise. So Miki is still a part of Shinji. And as Shinji's about to get the sword of death to mm-hmm. him, it's stopped by his severed arm. And then you see the parasite like form into Shinji's arm. And to our surprise, it's Miki who found a way to combine his own cells with the five parasited, parasitic creature. Well, he got absorbed by Goto, essentially. Right. But because his cells met, they were able to, you know, become one again. Mm -hmm. And from here, we have a very triumphant fight where it's revealed that the rhubarb stabbed into Goto had radiation. Again, weird how this all is linked. (laughs) I I don't understand. But between that and Miki going through Goto's nervous system and destroying it, it leaves Goto powerless. And we just see Goto slowly, like, become just the five parasites. Right. And then with the slice of of the head, he explodes. And then from here, we're, we're revealed that he's basically like a super-powered parasite where he can, if he is given long enough, he can bring all of his cells back together and, and basically resurrect himself, which is right. really cool. And then Shinichi recalls what Tamiya said about being powerless creatures. Which I don't entirely understand why he does. So, like, when you think about it, Goto is a threat to the human race and to Satomi and to Shinichi and Miki. Goto killed Miki. Goto was about to kill Shinichi. Goto killed... is, is the killer right he's been trying to kill shinji for the entirety of the movie right but at the end when it's the easiest and quickest way for shinji to kill goto he has a momentary lapse of doubt well i think it's it's not really doubt it's more just sympathy for goto because i don't understand how he's seeing a dying creature essentially it's or creatures i should say they're essentially just they've lost but they're trying desperately to cling on to the remainder of their life right so but he's been trying to kill him like i'm sorry i'm not going to sympathize with my attempted murderer that's threatening my girlfriend and my life and everybody I know around me. Like that's like, I I just, I don't understand that momentary lapse of doubt, but it it does go away. Shinji decides to go back and take care of Goto himself Mm -hmm. by throwing it into the nuclear incinerator where it burns up. 
Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, this ending was inspired by the opening of Blade Runner. Yamazaki directly cited it as as influence, um, for for this film. I felt like I should bring that up a little bit, right? And with that, we get the conclusion of Shinichi and Satomi seemingly riding off into the sunset, became becoming a couple, right? Right, and adopting. Tamiya's kid named Taiki. And everything's good and hunky dory from here, right? Yeah. Well, oh, oh, and then Miki decides, hey, so you you and me were so cool, but like I'm I'm gonna go into hibernation. It might be for a couple hours, it might be for a week, it might be for the rest of my life. But the radiation from that power plant and you stabbing Goto while I was in there kind of screwed up my cells. Well, if I remember correctly, that happened all before the adoption and whatnot, right? Yeah. And if I remember correctly, it was that Shinji had absorbed so much radiation that he would basically die of cancer. But Miki stopped that using his cells. Mm-hmm. And because he used his healthy cells, Mickey, Miki had to go in hibernation to regenerate those cells. Mm-hmm. Right. At least that's how the dub said it. Okay. In in the subs, they they said that he may never come back. It might be yeah. for the rest of his they, life. They, in the dub says that as well. It, okay. Miki's basically like, I don't know how long this could be. It could be end of my life. It could be, you know. Miki didn't know because of how extensive it was, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's yeah. when we get to the nice sequences of the adopted kid and and the couple living happily ever after, and then they go get coffee. Yeah. And the serial killer Uragami is watching them. Who grabs Satomi and takes her up to the rooftop of a nearby apartment building. Mm-hmm. Shinichi chases after them after when he realizes. And then we have an interesting back and forth. I, I, I don't entirely understand. I mean, I guess the sequence is to establish that Shinichi is human, I mm-hmm. guess. Right. It, it, this scene kind of felt unnecessary. Yeah. But I guess, so what happens, do you want to explain what happens? Essentially, Shinichi tries to reason with Urugami so that he won't kill Satomi. And their whole argument essentially being, I I am a human, why... I, I'm not a monster, but why am I able to kill these people? You know? And he try Shinichi tries to give an answer, but can't really find anything satisfying. But Satomi ends up just piping up and essentially saying that this man is not worth your time. And that sh- even though Shinichi is physically less human, Shinichi the the serial killer is not human because he does not have the human emotions 
the origami tries to throw Satomi off the building, but Shinichi kills him? It's my understanding Shinichi pushes origami off the building as well. I don't know if he pushed him off the building. I thought he just, like, hit him really hard and the guy fell, like, onto, like, this side bit of the building and was bleeding. That That's how it registered in my head. But maybe he got pushed off the building and I'm stupid. I don't but, know. But, yeah. Shinichi tries to grab Satomi's hand, but seemingly it slips and she's... Im- and she's going to fall to a death, which leads to essentially all his time with her flashing before his eyes. And then he sees he sees Migi telling him to help her up, realizing that he's that he's got her in his hands, and then lets her up, realizing that this was one last act from Migi having him wake up only for a second just to help save her. Which, now that I, now that we say that, I think I understand the inclusion of this scene. Mm-hmm. It shows that Miki has learned so much from humans that Miki can do, can, can help a species that Miki can't understand entirely. And, and it shows that Miki does have a human side. Yeah, to... I mean, this... This and the this and his sacrifice earlier essentially are the through the the climax to Migi's arc of becoming human, so to speak. Which I guess leaves it at what makes humans humans is not the murderous intent. It's not. It, it's it's not the physical appearance of being a physically a human. It's. It's the heart and the mind, essentially. Right. Which is a very nice thing to kind of end on and establish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If a nice thematic resolution. Right. That and you know, they've they started the film off asking like what if humans like what do the actions of humans do? And it was all bad. Mm-hmm. But the conclusion of this is what humanity is, is doing right by helping other species and helping other people and sympathizing and working together too, which is something that's brought up a bit earlier in the film. Right. It's established that humans together have an, have a jointed understanding. Yes. And it's kind of like that united we stand divided. We fall opinion pretty Mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Because humans, because the only way that the humans, overran city hall and took back their political system was together. Mm -hmm. And the only way that, uh, Miki and Shinji beat Goto was together. Not Mm -hmm. us, not one of them could beat Goto, but together they could beat Goto. Right. Kind of like that brotherhood of man that is Shiro Honda loves so much. (laughs) And like you said, it's, it's a very nice conclusion to, to all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And with this, it's over. We get the credits, which is a you know another like cells animated sequence, and that's that. That's the end of Parasite Part Two. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I did say that there was no cast that I was going to establish, but I I, I should bring up Hirofumi Arai. Oh, yeah. Who is the Uragami. serial killer, Uragami, who was in Gintama as well and in Yamazaki's The Eternal Zero. Oh. And he's actually South Korean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I established this prior, but Yamazaki loved Parasite. Like, he, that was one of his dream jobs. Right, I so, mentioned that last time, yeah. Okay. And specifically in the post in the pre the post production of Parasite Part Two, he had a lot of moments where he was just in like this this like feeling of nostalgia because <laughs> of what he was doing, and right. he he loved that, and uh, it it was it was a very personal film to him. Um, what's nice is you get to see Yamazaki basically. do his dreams mm-hmm. like he got to make a parasite movie he's making a godzilla movie mm-hmm. the only two things left that he said that he wants to do is do the yokai movie and do the live action nausicaa movie right and and at that point it kind of feels like he's done all of what he wants to do like mm-hmm. those are his dream jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see him get these opportunities because he has a eye for this stuff. Mm. And yeah. I think Parasite is an amazing film that takes a look on, on how humanity functions mm. and what it's meant to be a human. Yeah. Now, okay. So, with that being said, do you have any more notes or thoughts? Not really. It You've essentially covered basically everything I was going to bring up okay. surrounding the themes, the cinematography, all, all of that deal, essentially. Gotcha. And the now, excellent score from Naoki Sato, by the way, that I feel yes. we should call attention to. And would you say that this is a better score than the first film? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I, I agree. I agree. I feel like there's more intense and more memorable moments with the score in yeah, this film. Yeah, I don't... I, I feel like the first film's score was fine. It didn't really stand out much to me, but, like, maybe one or two moments. But, like, right. here, here, I feel like it really... It made a couple scenes in this movie really work. Particularly in that middle bit with where it's like intercut between Tamiya's death and the city hall raid. Right. And real quick, I do want to say I I so in my notes I put the term intercut and mm. the fact that you beat me to that and use that exact term made me so happy. So thank you so much for using language that I understand. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay then, bro. <laughs> thank you for being a film person. Okay. I feel, I feel like that's kind of at least a little bit of my job to at least have some idea what I'm talking about. It is, but thank you for, for doing your job. I guess this guy's a weirdo guys. I can't even be nice to you. Look at that. I can't even be like, thank you for being cool. No, you're not allowed to be nice. Fine. 
well, you're allowed to be nice, but just just don't expect me to be nice back. Oh, fair enough. So the end credits occur. And do you have anything else you want to say before I no. before I jump in here? I I, I don't want to cut you go off. Ahead. I want to make sure you say everything. Feel free to go ahead. Okay. So during the end credits, we get another bump of chicken song. We get Colony, which Rex. Mm-hmm. If I told you Yamazaki also did a bump of chicken colony music video that we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> would you, would you believe me? Yes. Okay. So once again, if you want to follow along, it's called colony by bump of chicken. It's on YouTube. You guys can watch it and then hear us talk about it. Ironically, um, gonna... I was going to ask about if, if this film had a music video that he directed. And, and it was directed in effects by Takashi Yamazaki and I really want to, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this one. So we're going to stop the recording. If you want to stop it and go watch that too, go right ahead. If not, we'll be right back. And we're back. So, okay. Rex, what do you think of that? That was pretty cool. Interesting how it's seemingly a, I guess, seemingly a continuation of sorts, at least visually to the parade music video with where the parade one was very apocalyptic this is a bit more like post-apocalyptic or yeah mm-hmm. right i mean I, I i took a little notes here so the flying creatures in this one were animals they looked like whales right right yeah whereas in the last one they were you know very much like bones like mm-hmm. birds with no skin yeah, I mean, the previous one was very gray and hopeless, whereas this, there's a lot more color, especially blue mm-hmm. in particular with the sky. Right. And then all of the debris that was flying mm-hmm. around is on the ground. Right. And you have kind of this, like, utopian city. Hey. <laughs> yeah. That that is that's flying around, and then, like you said, the sunlight and and the sky and all that. Like it's it's very it's it's like night and day. It's night right. and day. And the massive Titan creatures, the Titan parasite creatures from the previous ones, emerge. I didn't mention this in the last in the parade parade one, but I was kind of getting slight Attack on Titan vibes. I got a lot of those in this one. Yes. Especially when, like, one, like, specific one of these, like, giants emerges and it, and it's kind of visually implied to be, like, I guess, connected to humans more with it essentially fighting against all of the other right. titans. No, I, I think that these two go hand in hand with each other. Oh, absolutely. And I love how, so the ending of the first film is, is kind of dark and like, what are we going to do? And the ending of this one is everything's good and happy. Mm -hmm. And the music videos kind of mirror that. Right. And I think that's great. And, you know, you brought up Attack on Titan in this, it's very anime. It's very anime. Yes. Um, which I think works. I think it's a, it's a very nice contrast for these these music videos and these two films. Mm-hmm. So, 
with that being said, do you have any other opinions of this music video? It's a little longer, but yeah. it's it's not a lot more. It's only like an extra minute or two, really. Right. I don't really have many other thoughts other than I probably prefer this second music video a little more. Okay. It's a little easier to see everything, admittedly. There's less particle right. effects and whatnot. Right, yeah. So it would go Colony, then Parade for you. Sure. <laughs> what about the music? I like both of these, but I like Parade a little more than Colony. I think the song's fine. Uh, it's not... I don't mind J-pop, but, like, I'm I'm a bit more of a fan of J-rock, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me, give me some, like, early, early to mid-2000s J-rock. Get me, like, ex-Japan ex in, in Saw 4 or... The the do as infinity from Uzumaki, get get me those man. <laughs> Yamazaki should put them in Godzilla minus one. Okay, maybe that wouldn't fit. But <laughs> fair enough. So you know we always have to do our rankings right for months. Now, bef before we do that, I want to know. Well, actually, no. It'll it, it'll all we'll we'll figure it out as so. I want to know which one you liked more, Parasite Part 1 or 2, but I feel like that will also kind of tell your list. Yes. <laughs> so let's go with our least favorite so far out of the three films we've covered, Parasite okay. Part 1, Parasite Part 2, and Returner. So okay. what's at your number three? I'm going to put Parasite Part 2. Oh, okay. So I put Returner. Mm-hmm. Um, so why would you put Parasite Part 2 at the bottom? I just I just find Returner a little bit more fun and entertaining. I think Parasite is like I feel like it's more interesting thematically and more interestingly written, but I just I just found Returner more fun and I and I really did like Te Takeshi Kaneshiro and and Suzuki as the two leads. I mm -hmm. think they make that movie. Okay, I put Returner. Plus, plus I like I, I I like the two thousands that came in. Um. Right, I <laughs> and so I for me like it was kind of it, it's it's admit, admittedly a little hard to figure out what I would put at the bottom because I think all of I these movies all, are good. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen a Takashi Yamazaki film that I dislike. Right, so and right at least from what we've covered so far for me, um. Well, even for the other Yamazaki films I've seen, the first two always sunset films. Right. So for me, Returner is, it's a good movie. It's an entertaining movie. It's a very stylized movie. Yeah. And I like all of that. But Returner does not have the tight script that I right. think part one does. And it does not have the visuals that part dude has that I adore. Right, and, and I'd so say for, that's a fair opinion. So for me, it it has to do it has to come down to the visuals and the writing of Returner are not as solid as moments in both Parasite Part Two and Part One. Right. So for me, I would have to put Returner at the bottom, but that's not saying Returner is a bad film. This is no. one of those months where there's no. It's not like last month in in Kaiju, uh, Kaiju July where the bottom two movies weren't good. Mm -hmm. and the top two movies were actually good 
Like yeah. it wasn't that way for me. Um, this so far this month, we still mm-hmm. have one more movie that could potentially alter that. But I have I I found Returner as a as a fun, entertaining movie. Right. I love the sci-fi. I love the melding of genres. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. It just does not have the memorable moments that Parasite Part One or Part Two have for me. Mm. So that, that's wh- a true point, actually. That that's actually a good point. Well, good. So speaking of that, what would you put at number two? Well, number two, I'd go Returner. Okay. I would do then, Parasite Part 2. Mm-hmm. So we've swapped these. <laughs> why Why is Returner above... Uh, I guess you kind of explained yeah, that. Yeah, I already you? explained that. <laughs> so, But why would Returner be number two for you? Well... Like I like I said, I got that I got that early two thousands bias. I right. love Rakeshi Kanashiro in the role, and especially Mizuguchi is a is a really really good villain in mm-hmm. it as well. So that's one other thing I didn't mention, and yeah, that's that's okay. pretty much it. But I will say. I will say your point about Parasites Part 1 and 2 having some more memorable, like, big scenes does kind of make me think that maybe in future my opinion could change a little. Okay. And and Returner could go down to the bottom if if I sat on it more, maybe. Okay. See... For me, so Parasite Part 2 has my favorite visual in any Yamazaki film we've covered. Mm-hmm. The final fight is the perfect way to shoot a scene with that lighting. Right. And you see some of that lighting in the Minus One trailer. And that's going to be our next topic is how does this in, like excite us for Minus One? Mm-hmm. And for me, this film... Like that moment specifically takes the cake for best visuals in a Yamazaki film for me. Mm -hmm. I think the intercut sequence of City Hall and Tamiya and the zoo sequence is amazing. The the Mm -hmm. suspense there is really well done. I was about about to bring up like that's one thing that I'm excited for is and something that really stood out to me from just that opening scene alone. And then, you know, the City Hall and Tamiya scenes and all that was the tension in this film. Right. There there was a lot of tension in part two, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And but, which I think will be is something really good to see Yamazaki having a skill for going into minus one. Right. But before we get into that, we're both going to agree on number one, it seems like. So yes. on the count of three, we're going to say our number ones. One, two, three Parasite, Parasite part, one. part one. So for me, it's the writing. Parasite mm-hmm. part one is the one of the best modern Japanese films in terms of writing I've seen. That's a genre film. I, I love the like, I cannot gush about how tight that script is. <laughs> like I love that is that is a amazing definition of a good script. Right. 
Yeah, no, you're 100% right about that. I That was one thing that really stood out to me when watching both films is how just well, I guess, well-rounded both film scripts are. Like, again, my only, I feel like the main thing that kind of takes part two down a little is is the fact that it's trying to juggle so much that it feel that it feels like it's just got too much on its plate where whereas the first film feels like the right balance between all the all this little subplots all the thematic elements going on right and i just i love the it's it's such a well done story and i i think that's why it, it it well that is why it takes number one for me above visuals above entertainment for so for me for as as a filmmaker entertainment is valuable right like that's yes. that makes a good movie visuals is what sells the movie like to watch but what keeps me investing keeps me interested is the story the story has to come above everything else if the story does not work the rest of the film yeah. falls apart Oh, yeah. And Parasite Part 1 is the best example of a story in the recent, like, films we've covered. Mm-hmm. Like, when we get to our, like, like look back at, at this year, I'm probably going to end up bringing this film up and highlighting that story because that's – the story for the film is just so beautifully well-rounded. And it leaves you off on a cliffhanger, but you don't feel like you're missing the story. Right. And that is something extremely difficult to do. And the fact that Yamazaki did do that successfully and very well speaks to his talent as a writer and as yeah. a director. Yeah, exactly. So with that being said, I, I think that we're kind of alluding to to the final part of our Yamazaki month sections. And that is, what does Parasite Part 2 give you that can like worries you about him covering Godzilla minus one and what does it show you that could help him with Godzilla minus one well like I said before the main thing that really stood out to me that excites me for minus one is Yamazaki's ability with building tension Mm -hmm. which you know this Godzilla is seemingly going to be a bit more of a perhaps more of a brutal film than we typically see since we I mean usually, it already is yeah with the scenes of Godzilla's destruction in the teaser just clear as day showing the extent of the casualties there's going to be in the film which is something that we often don't really see very much in Godzilla films only really mm-hmm. appearing in like 54 Shin Godzilla and like I guess like the anime trilogy. Right. What rating does minus 1 have? Is it is it G? I believe it was G in the teaser trailer, yeah. Okay, okay. I was trying to remember I, I because ex- it it did have a rating. I don't expect it to be like a violent film like Parasite the Parasite movie. So I don't expect it to be that. Right, which seemingly it isn't, because Parasite, both of them were PG twelve, I believe. Right. I was just curious if Yamazaki was allowed to like push the limits at all. 
Well, we'll have to wait and see. Right. We'll, we'll I mean, see, but... It's entirely possible whether or not he wants to do that. Toho could also have their own say. Right. They I mean, like to protect Godzilla's brand in various right. ways. Absolutely. Even so, Yamazaki's okay. not not free of Toho's <laughs> iron fist, you could say. This is true. So, okay, so you th- so suspension in, in the tensity. The, yes. Okay. Um, and then, I'm of course, inter- the cinematography yes. with that final confrontation between Shinichi and Goto. Right. I, and that's what and I was... Lighting. Yes, and that's what I was going to highlight was the lighting is very well done. The lighting and the, the cinematography is very well done. And we're seeing that already in the teaser trailer. Similar mm-hmm. lighting, similar color grading to that sequence. Right. So that right away gives me this excitement of we're going to see a very well done visually film, right? So, so if Yamazaki's bringing his visual game, there's that. I mean, to me, the visuals of Minus One remind me a bit more of the Always trilogy okay, rather than necessarily the Parasite films. Okay. Because it's, cause it's kind of got that sort of, from what we've seen, it's got that sort of like afternoonish look that is all throughout the Always right. films. Right. It's not the modern look, right? Right. But the color grading is that of the it, it, ending fight yeah, of Parasite 2. And that's what I appreciate. And and I love that. Like, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, That kind of bright, but also washed out color, right? Right. And I appreciate that. And I love that. And if that's what we're getting, then I'm already, like, visually, the film's already got me. Hmm. Like, it's got, it's got the visual, right? So... Hmm. That just leads to, like, can it do the entertainment value of Returner, but also have the script of Parasite 1? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so little and is known about the movie. Well. Right, right. Because that is one thing Parasite 2 does have a problem, and that's yeah. balancing its tones and, and its pace and, and mm-hmm. following through with, with everything. Parasite right. Part 2 tries to lean a little more into the drama and love aspects, whereas the sci-fi elements do get dropped a little bit. Right. Godzilla Minus One, of course, has to have the human drama, right? Like, that that's a requirement. That's a yes. must-have. Mm-hmm. Which I am excited to see. Likewise, because everything we've seen is a very well-done human story, right? He can do humans very well. And and you know, the pretty much all of the films of his that we've seen so far, including like for me the always the first two always films, those were written by Yamazaki as well. Right. I think one or was it Parasite that was co-written. Parasite was co-written. Okay. He didn't do the screenplay. I right. think is okay. what it technically was. Okay. Okay. But essentially, the story itself was written by him using the original source material as a basis, obviously. Right. So from what we've seen, and we know minus one is written by him. There is a good precedent here. <laughs> right. Is what now, I'm getting. 
a lot of people did criticize the Parasite movies for not following the manga to a T. Um, I did read there was that's, a lot of problems with just, people's feelings with the adaptation. I, I, I can understand that, but, like, that's an inevitability. There, there's certainly things that I'm sure can probably are done better in the manga. Like, I I am the biggest... I am, the biggest fan of ring in this in this recording right now but like well that's not I, saying a lot but yes yeah but like i i even though i love the original nakata's ring there's some things that i think the novel does better that i don't think are quite translated as well as they could be in the film right but, but at that's the same something time that... it's going for something different to what the novel is going Right, it can't be an exact translation because one was made as a book and the other was made yes. as a movie, and they have yes. to be different. Yeah, and in and Parasite's case, it it's two movies rather than a, what was it, roughly like 60, 70 chapter manga, yes. if I remember yeah, right? It's yeah, it's a very long-running manga. So yeah, it, it, had to, it had to narrow it down, it had to change a few mm -hmm. things. It had to go, Yamazaki wanted to go for a different theme. Yes. Thematically. And his works... Like, mm -hmm. not not knowing the source material, which, you know, for anybody listening, like, I'm sorry that we're not I educated in that. Um, but just going based off of the film, like, crit critiquing it as a film, as a movie, which is, which is what our expertise is, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. <laughs> it has a very, the first film especially, has a very well done story and screenplay and script it's right. very well done the sequel not as much but yamazaki knew that which is something interesting he knew that the second one was not as well balanced mm -hmm. and he said that if it was the perfect movie it would be balanced but he didn't want to do that mm -hmm. that was a stylistic choice he made to throw the balance off, which I think did end up hurting the film. But the fact that that was something Yamazaki did on purpose and that wasn't something that just happened is a good sign. I think that shows that Yamazaki knows what he's doing for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Which is good when you have a director that knows intentionally when something's not going to be as good as his past work. Right. Just having that that self awareness, self awareness, is, yeah, is very. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Which which it's, does it's make nice me to be humble. Yes, and that makes me a little more excited for what he'll do with minus one because he's very self aware. He knows what works. Which, if he's confident in minus one, which it sounds like he is. It's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and that is great. That's amazing. That is great that he is confident. Mm. And he knows what he's doing. Because that's one thing that we keep saying Yamazaki is, is he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Which you can't say the same for a lot of other Godzilla directors, to be honest. Um, but no, Yamazaki is doing good. And I can't wait for next week where we can cover our final Yamazaki film, whatever that may be. Oh, I wonder. And then, 
you know, with that, we're we're going to be wrapping up Yamazaki month and then we're going to take a little bit of a breather. Lord knows we need it. We've been <laughs> we've been we've been busy. We've been very, very busy. Yes. But with that, we're going to conclude this episode. And like, unless Rex, you've got anything else you want to say? No. All good. Okay. So with that, we're going to wrap things up with the most noblest of podcasting traditions, and that's the shameless self-promotion of our stuff. So to start us off, Rex, why don't you let the lovely people know where they can find you at? Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexena, on Twitter, Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hi, my name's Elijah. You can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions, on Twitter at ET13Productions, or on Instagram at ET13Productions. You can now watch my recent kaiju-inspired short film, SOS Seek Shelter, on my YouTube channel in HD. And you can also check out the audio commentary track I did for it. Along with that, I am the production manager and head of the video department for Kaiju Ramen Media, a magazine made for fans by the fans. It's a quarterly magazine. I have contributed to every issue from issue one all the way to issue nine and 10 is coming out really, really soon as of this recording. So keep your eyes out on kaijuramenmedia.com for the pre-orders for that. Along with that, you can follow us on kaiju underscore ramen on Instagram and Twitter or X now. I guess it is X. No, I, I refuse. Yeah, it's still going to be Twitter for me as well. You say but that. Check those out and check out Kaiju Ramen Media on YouTube for all the videos and live streams we do. I'm a member of the Kaiju Weekly Podcast, a weekly podcast that covers the news of the wide world of kaiju movies. And beyond that, I am also a member of Monsters with Attitude, a YouTube show that streams at least once a month with more content also available. You can subscribe to it at Monsters with Attitude on YouTube and go check out our Facebook group, Monsters with Attitude on Facebook. So there are a bunch of great people. Eric and, and all the team is, is quite amazing, and I'm very happy and honored to say that I'm a member of Monsters with Attitude. So with that, I think we're going to wrap things up here. And so the only thing left is the podcast sign-off. Don't forget to write us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I do. I, you know, I I, I, I'm, I, I would lie if I said that I don't because I, I do. I'm using, a, I'm using an Apple device right now. But you can also rate us on Spotify. We're sitting at a five-star on Spotify. I highly appreciate that. Um, we are sitting at a 3.2 on Apple Podcasts. I feel like we're worth a little bit more than a 3.2, especially a for, for for the content we put out. So if you could go leave us a five-star review and tell us what you think in the in the review, that would be highly appreciated. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, check us out on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com 
all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even like a coffee mug or something. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of people just like you that have similar interests. Recently, there was a discussion on Ultraman Blazar. Um, the recap episode just aired, and and there was a little discussion about that. It's a great, oh, yeah, it's a great up. community full of great people, a lot of great stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusive to the channel, like bloopers or minisodes or you know other episodes or videos talking about news or subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I definitely butchered his name, and I'm really sorry for that. A huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Yamazaki Month as we are almost done and we are ready to get on. We are on the hype train for Godzilla Minus One coming out to U.S. theaters December 1st, coming out to Japanese theaters November 3rd. Definitely follow as we are going to continue following that and continue to spread the hype train and share our excitement for this film. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Too now.